Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the Legendarium Podcast. This is part five of our Silmarillion read-along covering chapters 13 through 15. As a reminder, we have a total of 11 sections scheduled covering an average of 25 pages each, give or take, uh, which, by the way, guys, is exactly how many pages we read for today, although I know it probably felt more like 100 at certain points during this reading. Uh, anyway, the purpose of this read-along, as a reminder, is not to turn us all into Tolkien scholars, but simply to have some fun with a notoriously difficult book and hopefully glean some of its lessons along the way. If you're not subscribed to the show, you can do so at thelegendarium.com, where you can also find the links to Discord, Patreon, etc. All right, let's get right to it. I am your host, Craig Hanks, and with me over there, while well, he's drier than Chapter 14 and just as much fun to read, it's Ryan Bruckman. And it'll I cause as much sleep deprivation De deprivation yeah clearly i'm dealing with you're actually yeah you're he a is. victim of it uh, mm -hmm. well and he's so stupid he probably doesn't even know the difference between finrod fingon fingolfin and finarfin it's kyle lemon you can just yeah. shut shut the <laughs> fin up i don't know <laughs> <laughs> so uh welcome guys it is part five of our silmarillion read through um this is uh, it's an interesting one because as a section uh, you know, these 25 pages, these three chapters taken as a whole, not that bad. It's just chapter 14 is really, it kills me. Um, every time I read it, I'm, I'm trying to figure out why it's there. It reminds <laughs> like, me. Could this not have been done some other way? Chapter 14 reminded me, and this is, I'm going to get so much hate for this probably, but it's like when my wife tells me a story and she gives me a ton of backstory and detail that is completely irrelevant and unnecessary. <laughs> or I mean, maybe... Not completely irrelevant, but unnecessary. Yeah. And it's like all these details and then you get to like the actual meat of it. And it's like, this could have been 30 seconds. Yeah. And we're <laughs> this could have been an email. This could have been an email. <laughs> we're going to get to chapter 14 in just a moment. I do have a recap for you guys this time. Uh, as you may recall, Feanor and his sons leaving the Blessed Realm landed in Middle Earth and burned the Teleri ships that they have stolen. They actually landed pretty close to Morgoth's realm, and he immediately attacks them before they have a chance to settle in. It's a long battle, but the elves are victorious. In his pride and general idiocy, Feanor pursues the forces of Morgoth, outrunning the others in his army. So he's ahead of everybody else. And predictably, the evil army sees this, turns around, and a bunch of Balrogs deal Feanor his death wounds. So Feanor dies, and that's pretty much that. For our central character so so-called central character um morgoth then calls for a parlay offering a truce and mithros the eldest son of feanor goes to meet with him whoops just kidding instead of peace morgoth takes mithros uh, hangs him by his right wrist off a cliff and meanwhile <laughs> while all this is going on fingolfin's people have crossed the dreaded grinding ice in the far north and arrived in Middle-earth. And as you can imagine, they and Feanor's people are not thrilled to see each other. But Fingon, son of Fingolfin, goes on a solo quest and rescues Mithros minus one hand. This act of bravery starts the reconciliation process between the two groups. And that's just chapter 13. In chapter 14, we find out that Middle-earth has lots of forests, mountains, and rivers, and that various groups of elves live in, on, or near them. And in chapter 15, Turgon sets up a hidden realm in Gondolin, and Thingol, king of the Grey Elves, finds out the truth behind why the Noldor have come back to Middle-earth in the first place. And he's not thrilled about this. And that's the end of this section. So, there we go. Uh, chapter 14 is just a strange, strange tangent. <laughs> it really is. Mid-season so, drama here. <laughs> I, I, I think we actually, we're, we're going to have plenty of things to talk about, I think, with the chapters 13 and 15. Uh, but let's talk about 14 for just a moment because it's kind of the giant elephant in the episode being the most boring chapter in the book. Um, it, and I want to say that that's an objective... <laughs> Uh, that's an objective statement. I'm not totally sure, but I, there I defy anyone. There might be some anyone. very strong cartographer feelings that would disagree with you because you could map out a lot of what was what, off of what was in there. You know, you know, one of the frustrating things to me in this read through on that note was that it, they do splice in um, a map insert in mm -hmm. chapter 14. If you're reading this, Ryan, you would see this, but you're listening to it, you weirdo. I still, I, I still hop in. Okay, so do you know what I'm talking about? This yeah. map insert. Mm -hmm. What's weird about it is that it probably names 
oh, I don't know, 30, 40% of the landmarks that are actually listed in the chapter. <laughs> and so you're reading through the chapter, at least, at least I am, and I'm constantly going to this map that they provide, or you flip to the one in the back and you're like, wait a minute, where's this? Mm-hmm. This river is, it's by what now? And it's not even on there. You know, and sometimes it is, and sometimes it isn't. There, He's naming minor branches of mid-sized rivers. And this these are the people that live by this branch of the river and of course it doesn't show up on the map and i don't know i i yeah. get really frustrated with chapter that. 14 should be lifted <laughs> placed in the back in its own like special index se- section and just just that just that the appendices just, we no, need but, appendices but its own thing and not even in the appendices just its own thing this is like <laughs> tolkien's like DLC. author's note yeah author's note he's going ham on things that he's gonna geek out about and just there you go. And, you know, to Ryan's point about cartographers, you know, getting a little bit of a, uh, oh, dang, that would be inappropriate for a 10-year-old listener, uh, <laughs> getting excited about uh, this chapter. That totally makes sense. Um, I can I, I can see Tolkien actually either working from a map or, or uh, writing this down with the intention of it being able to be mapped out. Um, it, but it's like, I, I really, really didn't need to read this. With the... With some caveats. Okay, so this is the part where I say, all right, chapter 14 is not all bad. Okay. Um, There was the um, way back of when the elves had just arrived in uh, in Amon. And I told you guys to highlight the chapter where the seven sons of Feanor are listed out. Mm -hmm. And you get some of their personality traits or at least nicknames that hint at their personalities and that sort of thing. Where you've got the family tree in the back. You can always flip to that. But that page is important or possibly valuable just as a reference point to go back and say, oh, okay, so uh, so this this guy is super proud. This guy is very crafty. This guy is clever. You know, whatever. Um, it gives you that kind of character reference. In a similar way, we do get a little bit of, a, a little bit more color and flavor for the landscape than you would get with, you know, a little black and white map insert, no matter how detailed it was you are going to get a little bit more of that feeling of, oh, I, I, I feel a little bit more what it would be like to live in this forest or under the shadow of these mountains with all the spiders or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. So you get some of that flavor, uh, but that's not to say that it's <laughs> terribly exciting to read. So still a punchline, but I don't want to be too hard on it. So I don't know. Any other thoughts on chapter 14? It is what it is. I mean, it's you muscle, <laughs> very deep, very yeah, deep. you muscle through it, and if you if that's something you like, dig in more. There's a wealth of information in there. Yeah, is it all applicable and relevant? Up to up to the reader, yes, I guess. It depends on what you what do. What is it you need to get out of this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There you go. Well, should we talk about chapter thirteen then? Because a lot happens in that chapter. This is uh, definitely a packed one. But the first thing that we should probably talk about is Feanor. So Feanor is the guy, he's the the driver behind so much of the story so far uh, with the creation and the loss of the Silmarils, the Oath, the Kinslaying, all of that stuff. And we get to Middle-earth and it's like, all right, so Feanor is going to go on his quest to, uh, to wrest the Silmarils from Morgoth. And then he gets there and just gets murdered, like mm-hmm. straight up right away, killed on the battlefield. And <laughs> it's kind of like... It's weirdly unceremonious. Now, I know this isn't a novel and we're not, so we're not doing character development and scenes in the same way that we would get in a novel, but all the same, he's a really (laughs) pivotal figure in this story. And did it feel abrupt and weird that we just like, oh, I guess he's gone now. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) to your point, like, yeah, he's gone, but didn't, before he died, didn't he make his son's like take his oath or whatever. So oh my they, gosh. They would continue to fight for the Silmarils, even yeah. though he realized like, we're never going to beat them. We're outmatched. We can't overtake the Lord of the Balrogs and all right. the other Balrogs or whatever. And like, this is basically a futile mission and effort. And, but you guys are still going to hold to your oath and you're still going to fight for those Silmarils. And so his last dying breath kind of screws over the elves because they have taken the oath and they have to honor that and keep fighting for it. So even though he's gone, the central conflict that he started 
will continue to be the central conflict for the elves. So he's kind of like his his legacy remains, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Oh yeah, no, I mean that's why I told you guys to highlight the mm-hmm. the uh, the oath of Feanor and his seven sons and the curse of Mandos. Like these things definitely go through the whole story. Yes, you're right, and I actually I literally highlighted that passage and wrote down, dude, Feanor is a uh, I'll say jerk. That's not what I wrote in the margins of my book, but he's a jerk. Because, <laughs> yeah, you're right, Kyle. He, you know, with the foreknowledge of death, he perceives that, no, we're never going to overcome Morgoth. He's the mm-hmm. most powerful of the Valar. And he keeps creating these crazy, crazy monsters <laughs> right. that we, holy crap, we've never seen him before. Like, also, he gets there and they meet the orcs, like, that he's got a whole army of orcs, right? right. And that's the first time that I would, I, I think, from what I gather, that the elves have run into orcs, right? I'm not a hundred percent sure about that. I, I I'm not sure with the Noldor. I'd have to like really dig okay. into their timeline, but it could be because that was my thought. Is like you show up and you're just like, well, what the heck are these things? And then it's just like, well, they're ugly and brutal. We should kill them all. <laughs> like, that's basically the vibe I got as I'm reading this. And uh, that's just, I mean, that's just that's just cannon fodder fodder level bad guys. And then you run into balrogs and whatever other creatures that he's creating as we go forward and so right, right. i don't know just a little bit selfish feanor to make people or make your whole people continue to fight that futile battle yeah 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 exactly with the foreknowledge of death he sees that morgoth can never be overcome and this the, his seven sons did take the oath with him uh in aman and so they are already bound by the oath but he kind of like re-ups it uh, he recommits them to the oath on his deathbed. He's mm-hmm. like, I don't know if he said, I mean, we have the record. So at some point he must have said with the foreknowledge of death, this is never mm-hmm. going to happen, but you're going to do it anyway. Um, I don't know. Just, what a what a jerk. Uh, what a guy. What a guy. Um, so let's see. What, what any, Anything else on Feanor? Uh, yeah, I got, I got that quote for you right here. Oh, okay, great. He says, and he knew with the foreknowledge of death that no power of the Noldor would ever overthrow them. But he cursed the name of Morgoth thrice and laid it upon his sons to hold their oath and to avenge their father. You will avenge me, even though I know that you cannot actually make that happen. You will do it anyways. Yeah. There you go. All right, Ryan, any uh, any thoughts before I bring up something else? No, I mean, you asked whether or not it was surprising or abrupt for him to leave. Oh, and I think yeah. it makes sense that I don't think that it is all that because it gives a new set of challenges for the elves to deal with otherwise this becomes it's less of the whole thing is just Feanor's quest it starts to become more narrative it becomes more of than versus a history where it's just like you know he's gone and here's what they've been left with right kind of the mm-hmm. point that, that Kyle was making there and I think it makes sense that Feanor has to go now otherwise uh, we're we're going to be too mired in the Noldor uh well, we're, we're in, in the Noldor story, but in Feanor's story yeah. specifically. Yeah. Also, I think it's a it's a, and correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not nearly as familiar with the all of the works of Tolkien, but his writing First style. First of all, how dare you? Well, you know, I'm just not as well read or educated or <laughs> have the fl- l- flowing luscious locks that you do. So sure, yeah, I mean, uh, who does? But Tolkien tends to skip over, like battle sequences and details quite a bit mm-hmm. and so the abruptness of Feanor dying it feels abrupt on the page because like he's chasing after this army things happen and all of a sudden where he's on death's door death's bed right but like if you look at like reading through the battle of the five armies in the hobbit you don't like it's like and then there was a great battle and like we skip past that and mm. so i don't know if it's just that tolkien's less interested in like to your point like the digging into the characterization and storytelling portion in that way where you read other authors and like it's all about the blow by blow action sequences and here's what's going on and here's the motivations. So it seems to be somewhat of a theme in Tolkien's work that he kind of skips past certain things and hits like major beats. So it's like Feanor was on this quest. He went to do this thing. Now he's no more. And here's how that here we're going forward, you know? Yeah. So. Well, so I, th- I think of that. I think that's a great point. I think of it this way: the Silmarillion is a mythology or a history, if you prefer, um, and the Lord of the Rings, and to a lesser extent, the Hobbit. Uh, but the Lord of the Rings certainly is a romance, um, which means it is uh, it, it is 
not going to get into the uh, what today we might call grimdark details mm-hmm. of, you know, and then Aragorn cut off this head. He chopped off that limb and he received, you know, seven wounds to his thigh. I, I, whatever. I don't know. Whatever yeah. else goes on in these books. Um, cannonballs aren't blowing people's heads off uh, in these scenes because that's not what he's going for. Mm-hmm. Tolkien, it, and it's not because he didn't, it's not because he didn't understand that stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. Tolkien was on the sum for months. Uh, so he's in sure. World War One. He was in the thick of things in one of the worst battles of the war. Um, so he, I'm, I have no doubt he saw his fair share of what battle actually looks like when you dig down into the, the minute details and he was not interested in transmitting that particular information. Um, and so even with say the Lord of the Rings, when you get to those battle sequences and you, you know, like the battle of Pelennor fields would be a great example or Helm's deep or something. He tends not to zoom in very far. Mm -hmm. Um, it's more about the romantic heroic conception of war and Mm -hmm. battle um where you know it's the forces of good versus the forces of evil instead of like instead of feanor versus uh you know by balrog jeffrey the balrog or whatever um (laughs) it so the blow by blow stuff i think we would expect that and want that if from Mm -hmm. an author today but he just wasn't interested for various reasons i'm sure i don't know thoughts and feelings no i think that's that's kind of what I was trying to articulate, and I think you did a better job of it. Is he? It feels abrupt on the page because Tolkien is ready to move to the next thing. He doesn't want to dwell on whatever's mm-hmm. happening, like in the moment necessarily. So, right. to a reader who is expecting a narrative in that way, it could feel abrupt. But I think it's it's done intentionally. Not necessarily that he's intending to be abrupt. He's just intent. What's interesting to Tolkien and what's important in Tolkien's mind to tell the story is moving on from Feanor to the next thing. Right. If you're 13 chapters into this and you're still like, where's my narrative? You you probably should just put the book down. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's a good point. That's a good point. Fair. Well, and also let me point this out. We're going to get through the Silmarillion. We'll get to our very last section, which will be um, the the War of the Ring, kind of the mm-hmm. the or the what do they call it? of the Third Age and the war of the ring or something like that i will oh and of the rings of power there you go um and that chronicles the the creation of the rings uh the, the whole third age and it even gives you a few pages on the amazon series <laughs> exactly it gives you a few pages on the war of the ring which is the story of the lord of the rings essentially mm-hmm. and so you get the same kind of sketch for the lord of the rings in the silmarillion that we get for all these other different episodes um and he obviously then spent 17 years fleshing out the Lord of the Rings, writing mm-hmm. that out. Uh, so uh, so if he had turned his mind in the same way to telling the story of uh, Feanor charging uh, Angband or, you know, or mm-hmm. uh, freeing Mithros from the rock, you know, Fingon going and, and freeing him from the rock, like... He could tell those stories in more detail, but yeah, like you say, it's more important just to move on. We got a lot of a lot of history to get through, yes. and and he did. Like that's why we have things like um, these secondary or or you know tertiary posthumous books uh, like the Fall of Gondolin or Baron and Luthien, where he did actually dig in and write out a bunch of that stuff. He never quite finished them, and it was up to his son Christopher to go in and you know make sure that it was all publishable, uh, but. Yeah, he did start the process of Lord of the Ringsifying some of these Silmarillion episodes. So yes, and I, you're going to have to fact check me on this, but I'm hoping I'm about to blow your mind. I'm ready. <laughs> Jeffrey the Balrog <laughs> yeah. is actually named Gothmog. Correct, Lord yes. of the Balrogs. Yes, um, that is that is correct. Gothmog. Also, Jeff. <laughs> it's was, Jeff with a G. I was, <laughs> but he got tired of people getting Gothmog wrong. So he's like, just. It's Jeff, guys. It's Jeff. We went to it's Starbucks Jeff. and they're like, Gothmog? <laughs> Jeffrey. Okay. <laughs> I was thinking of his sidekick. His, uh, yes. Yeah. His, his Samwise was uh, Jeffrey. Uh, okay. So I also want to point out something that, I, um, that came to my attention in this read through, which is uh, that we are, as we're talking about Tolkien skipping over a lot of things and then, you know, spending more time here and then zooming through whatever, you know, parts of the history so far. 
uh, one thing I've noticed on this read through is how uh, he just kind of skips the happy times. You know, anytime things are going really well, it might, you know, it might get a sentence or a paragraph of mention that, hey, everybody was super happy. We entered the, the time tr- of peace. Yeah, yeah. The trees are lit and everybody's was, having a good time. He was tired about writing about the Shire and all the happiness in the Shire <laughs> from the other works that he did. He was just like, all right, learned so, my lesson there. But anyway, um, uh, what was I... What was I going to say? Oh, yeah. So in pay, or in chapter 13, uh, in that second edition, that purple one, it's uh, page 108, but who knows where it really is. Um, it mentions that the ages of the stars were ended. And that line caught my eye. Okay, so the ages of the stars. Obviously, we have the rising of the sun and moon. Um, that, you know, we had the trees in Valinor, but they didn't light Middle Earth. So Middle Earth was under the stars, the starlight. Anyway, so that got me thinking about it. And... What um, what I know about this book is that it's this is not this is not so much a history of the elves in their prime time as the elves already in their decline. So we do get their time in Valinor, which is he calls it the noontide of Valinor, the noontide of the elves. It's them at their highest, you know, glory and power and wisdom and all that stuff. Um, but he really does kind of zoom through that and most of our time in Valinor if you recall seems to have been spent talking about Morgoth and him kind of seeding rebellion and Feanor and him growing in pride and the you know eventually the Noldor leaving and you know the schisms and fighting and all that stuff that happens where it's like so you're in paradise and that's what we get to read about it's not paradise being paradise it's paradise being destroyed Mm -hmm. and this is kind of I mean, this is normal, right? This is what stories, this is what interesting stories are. Stories come out of times of transition. And that's what we're reading about here is the elves on the decline. Um, It's a transition period. Uh, And when we have transition, that's movement. It's friction. It's heat. It creates interest. Whereas you can be as happy as you want, um, but that's not going to make a very good story. And same thing with being, you know, the ultimate of ultimate tragedies. Not that good a story. It's transition, you know, either decline or ascension. Those, that's where story comes in. So I thought that was, uh, you know, I I kind of knew that somewhere in my head, but it, that line really jumped out to me that the uh, the ages of the stars were were ended. So. Anyway, all right, so I guess we'll just pay attention to that. If there are any more slow sections after this, I wonder if it'll if we can track, like, well, yeah, because nothing's actually happening. Everybody's just chilling and being happy. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, all right. You guys, anything else uh, to bring up before we get to listener questions and whatnot? Is this our first mention of the Eagles? Hmm. Good question. I, I feel got- like it. I feel like they might have been mentioned as a, like that they were created, but this is our first time I feel like they've interacted with our yeah, story. Yeah, I think I feel like the creation of them was there, but I don't remember anything else. Yeah, we so. actually have the, the Lord, uh, Lord of the Eagles coming down, Thorondor, and uh, bringing Ron Henley. <laughs> <laughs> well played, sir. Um, uh, have you seen uh, Have you seen Peacemaker on HBO Max? No, I have not. Oh, uh, okay. Should I? We should don't, I? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, if you have a high tolerance for adult uh, humor. Oh, yeah. Um, adult juvenile humor. How's that? Excellent. Because <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I, I want to call him Don Eagley. Don Eagley? Let's do it. There, yeah, okay. Never mind. People, people who have seen the show are laughing their butts off right now, okay? Um, all right. Where, what I interrupted were you, saying, Ryan? you, Ryan, with a stupid <laughs> Eagles reference. <laughs> It's probably worth more than what I had to bring up about it. It was just, okay. I noticed the Eagles and it's, I, one of the portions that jumped out to me on this was the story of, uh, uh, Maedros, the, Maedros. Maedros being, uh, chained up and then having basically, mm-hmm. uh, he asks to be killed because he's been suffering there. Mm-hmm. And instead of doing that, he cuts off the hand and he ends up kind of rejuvenating his life and becomes an even better swordsman with his other hand. And like, boy, that sounded like. A euphemism if I ever heard one. <laughs> well, you got to make do with what you got. So. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but, but the fact that uh, the Lord of the Eagles came in, I, it just, that little mini story in there was interesting to me and it connected because I think part of it connected to me into, uh, what is it? It's Greek mythology um, of the, who was it that was chained to the rock that was eaten? 
Oh gosh, so, yeah, names. Yeah. I know the story, but names. Yeah, sorry. That, that Greek mythology piece <laughs> of the man who was chained to the rock that was being eaten, his liver was being eaten every day, and I think Hercules eventually had to come and. Even, yeah, there's someone who's at least in the right cartoon now. version, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Kevin Sorbo went and he pulled the chain. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Ryan at thelegendarympodcast.com. <laughs> I need. I wish I would have looked it up before I came here, but it was. <laughs> this is just one of those moments where I thought. Is this a nod to, is this story a nod to other myths and other legends that that could potentially have yeah. some connection to what he was trying to build? Yeah, I love that. I hadn't even thought of that, but I love that connection because we kind of talked about this a couple episodes ago, I think, where Tolkien loved um, proto versions of things. You know, especially language, but mm-hmm. also stories and, uh, you know, children's songs and, and all that stuff. And so, Prometheus. yeah, I think, oh, is it Prometheus? Prometheus? Yeah. Okay. So I could definitely see him saying, yeah, oh, man, that was, that was really, that's, it's a great myth. It's a great story. Uh, what if I made up the prehistoric version of what actually happened that became the myth that the Greeks mm-hmm. started telling. You know, he loved that kind of stuff. So I could definitely see that mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, good yeah. catch. I like it. Um, all right. So uh, before we do listener questions, you guys want word of the day right now? Yes. All right. So I've got a few words of the day. Uh, these ones all come from chapter 13 because everything interesting comes from chapter 13 for this particular reading. Uh, all right. How about this one? Faye, F-E-Y. I got to see if I can actually find the uh, the passage. I left my notated book inside, but Faye, do you guys know that one? Yeah, isn't it just another form of all the other forms of Faye? Fairy and Faye, F-A-E-F-E-Y. Mm, nice. This is why I'm bringing it up. It is not. It is not. So F-A-Y, Faye. Yes, you're right. It's kind of another way to, to talk about fairy, another name for mm. something of fairy. Uh, but that comes from old French. That came to us through French. Uh, but F-E-Y is actually Old English. And the definition is giving an impression of vague otherworldliness. That comes from, you know, Oxford dictionaries on Google. So yeah. uh, giving an impression of vague otherworldliness. I really need to find really need to find the passage now. I'm not sure I'll be able to uh, quickly enough. But uh, they both kind of came from the same the same spot. Uh, but the next one is van, V-A-N. Um, and it is the foremost part of a company of people moving or preparing to move forward, especially the foremost division of an advancing military force. So these both, oh, that's right, because it's when uh, when Feanor runs ahead of the army. He gets ahead of the van of the army. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and he's laughing as, you know, one Fey or something. I, I don't know. Yeah. For he was Fey, consumed by the flame of his own wrath. There you go. Yeah, Ryan's got me covered. So that, that's why that's I right. need... Searchable on Kindle. Yeah, I know. <laughs> the, my paperback, not, not quite the same thing. But uh, yeah, and then what's the next sentence? Uh, for he was Fey, consumed by the flame of his own wrath. Thus it was that he drew far ahead of the van of his host, and seeing this, the servants of Morgoth turned to bay, and there issued from Engbad Balrogs to aid them. Yep, there you go. So uh, yeah, van... Uh, like we we know the term vanguard uh, as something that goes before, mm-hmm. and I guess in uh, medieval battles they would often split their armies into three groups: the vanguard, and I I can't I want to say it's the midguard, but that sounds more like you know yeah. <laughs> Norse myth, uh, so it might be a different word, uh, and the rear guard. Mm-hmm. So uh, the van was the one up front. That's that's all. So uh, they would often just. Um, leave off the guard part of that and just say the van. So that's where that comes from. The last one uh, comes from a little bit later in that... uh, (laughs) Down by the river. (laughs) In that page. Ryan, I want you to look up uh, constrained. Should be right around that same page. Uh, The word is constrained. And this one is not not because it's such a terribly difficult word, but just a a pet peeve of mine that constrained, Kyle, you editor man, is not the same as restrained. No. Can you tell me the difference? Nope. No? All right. Ryan, do you have it? Probably not the difference you're looking for. I do. Let's (laughs) see. But the sons of Feanor knew that Morgoth would betray them and would not release Maedros. Maedros? Maedros. (laughs) Maedros. Would not release Momo. 
whatsoever they might do, and they were constrained also by their oath, and might not for any cause forsake the war against their enemy. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I only bring this up just, like I said, as a personal pet peeve, that these are not the same thing. They're often used interchangeably, but they actually, they don't mean the opposite, but they're kind of like two different sides of a coin, where to be restrained, obviously, is to be held back from something or kept from something. But to be constrained is to be forced into something. So you can think of it like um, if somebody's restraining you, they're pulling you back, they're holding you. Uh, but if you're being constrained, you're being pushed, uh, you know, by someone or something else. So anyway, there's your words of the day. Uh, all right, I'll take off my stupid professor hat now. Just kidding. It looks good on you. I'm not going to do that. Um, all right, should we do some listener stuff? Let's do some listener stuff. First one comes from uh, from our 10-year-old listener, Elliot. Okay, so Hi, we, we missed out on Elliot's last week because it was a weird, or last episode because it was a weird uh, week and the timing was off. So I apologize for that. But Elliot, we're going we're gonna to go to you first. Elliot asks, why did Melkor create the Iron Mountains to defend himself if he's a god? Because he's fighting other gods. There you go. They're on an even even playing field, <laughs> and even if uh, even if he wasn't, I mean, he's a total coward, uh, sure. and he, I mean, he is a god, and yet when Feanor and all the the Noldor show up, he retreats. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he gives a battle, but once the battle is lost, he goes and locks his doors, and he yeah. he ain't coming out El- for anything. Elliot, I'm not sure if you have siblings. But when you go to your room and shut your door and lock your siblings out <laughs> because you want to do your own thing and create your own Lego set or whatever it is, Melkor or Morgoth just wants to go back into his room and shut the door, create Balrogs and dragons, and then go back and wreak havoc on his siblings. There you go. All right. There so you go. Thanks for putting horrible, violent ideas into Elliot's head. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> So, no, I mean, it's a decent question. Why, like, why bother? You're a god. Why do you need mountains? Why well, do you and, need walls? But they all are gods. Protection doesn't necessarily, it's not necessarily protecting, protecting yourself from being killed or anything like that either. There's just the leave me alone, kind of what Kyle was talking about, mm-hmm. you know, locking yourself in the room, but just trying to keep things out so that you can get away with doing things too. Like, I'm building a curtain around me, an iron curtain that says... So to speak. Yes. <laughs> that, so you can't see what I'm doing, so when I come out... I have an upper hand of surprise. Right. Too. Mm-hmm. Like there's that element of it as well. Yeah. And also all of his underlings are not gods. Mm-hmm. He's got orcs and creatures and whatnot that are perfectly killable. He has a strategic advantage behind the Iron Mountains. Yeah. And he would we not should otherwise. point out that uh, that the other Valar do the exact same thing. The Pelori, the mountains uh, barring the way into Amman, they're massive, sheer-faced mountains that are unclimbable and... You know, there's only one pass, and I, like they they set that up as protection, um, and they're probably not just thinking of Morgoth in that case. There's, you know, you may be a god, but that doesn't mean you can't be threatened. And oh, we'll get there in this story. Oh, we'll get there. It's good. Maybe it was just like a real estate bad neighbor thing. Like <laughs> I built up a fence, now I'm going to build up a different bigger fence, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. And do you think that he made the the Noldor pay for half? Yeah. And put up the Iron Mountains and like, this is your half <laughs> of the fence, bro. Yep. <laughs> All right, guys. We're going back to chapter 14. Okay. Because Lady Sweden has a comment or two here. Uh, all right. There are, this is, this is Lady Sweden. There are info dumps in fantasy. And then there's chapter 14 of the Silmarillion. Uh, history, genealogy, and geography delivered shamelessly and proud, proudly to a confused reader. This one had eyes mildly glazed over by the end. So boring. With that said, who on the panel admits to skimming? And she also adds, come on, Craig. Even I didn't you, read it at all. <laughs> she says, even you, must, <laughs> even you must do this. Is there a need for this chapter? So wait, you guys both skimmed 14? Oh, I didn't read chapter I think, 14. I read, really? I read the synopsis and something else for chapter oh, okay. 14 because we had already talked about it. We were like, this is going to be a, a word map. And I was like, deuces, I'm out. <laughs> I have had every single word of chapter 14 pass into my ears. <laughs> and probably somewhere around a thousand of them through my eyes. <laughs> Of that, about seven have stayed. (laughs) 
Ryan had his his speaker on the back of his neck with a gentle fan blowing, just yeah. sweet nothings in the back of Ryan's the nape of back. The Silmarillion coming Ryan's through bone neck. induction just, headphones exactly. is a little bit. Wow, he wanted to experience. <laughs> oh no. He, so okay well that there's your answer lady sweet two different um, approaches <laughs> i i i read the whole thing quite closely although i will say if you look at and i wish i had my my notated copy out here if you look at my notes for chapter 13 it's like you know five six marginal notes on every single page tons of stuff underlined and cross-referenced and all that stuff and it gets to chapter 14 it's pretty dry yeah, mm-hmm. there's I don't have many notes on chapter 14. So I want to know if there is someone out there that is a, a diehard lover of chapter 14 that would be willing to do a in defense of chapter 14. Oh, yeah, no, I'd love that. Like, here's what's what's important to know about it and why it matters. And here's this sort of thing. And stop crapping all over it, guys. And- <laughs> I mean, to Craig's earlier point about like they they put the map, like the actual drawn map in the book and even what's his name christopher and publishers were like ah we'll put like 30 percent of that in there so like i don't know that there's anybody out there that can defend it yeah well there's there's even the people that put it together were like nah (laughs) there's so much info in that chapter that you couldn't you'd have to have a map you know it'd have to be at least three times this size (laughs) you know to to be able to get the all that info in there so um no I, i i just think I don't hate chapter 14. It does have good stuff in there. It has little tidbits of info to pull out. It really does. But it is so much fun to crap on. And so here we are. Deal with it. You know, if this offends you, I'm sorry. <laughs> but uh, uh, so, yeah, they they skimmed over it. Um, she says, come on, Craig, even you must do this. I, on, on a normal read through, I might skim a little bit more. Uh, but on this read through now, I, I was pretty intent on reading every word carefully. So. Uh, and it it really did feel very long because of that. So, um, all right. So Lady Sweden also said, <laughs> she says, also, if Craig is feeling extra evil, a name quiz from chapter 14 would be in place. Go for it. It's going to be so, a very... So, to that Whoa. end, I have... Oh, goodness gracious. ...a quiz for you guys uh, right here. It's five questions, multiple choice. And I decided to... I was like, how can I be kind of cruel but not totally cruel and so what this is i have uh five questions each of them is a group of four names you just need to choose the one that is not a real name from the silmarillion oh no okay (laughs) all of the real ones occur in chapter 14 are the fake ones uh prescriptions they are not they are (laughs) like i i literally just made up words that might kind of go We'll see how you do. Okay, so are you ready for question number one or group number one? Mm -hmm. All right. We have Ered Engrin, Mithrim, Gilmarian, and Nargothrond. Uh, Nargothrond I know exists. Yeah, so does Mithrim. Um, So the other ones are Er Ered Engrin or Gilmarian. I'm going to go with Ered Engrin is the fake one. I was going to go with Gamarian. Kyle is correct. Yeah. <laughs> that is correct. All right. Group number two is Galadirion, Brethil, Linaywin, or Thangorodrim. Do that one more time. Brethium. Galadirion, Brethil, oh, <laughs> Linaywin, or Thangorodrim. Linaywin. I'm sticking with Brethium. With- Breathy. <laughs> Galadirion is not a thing. That is not a that that is something I made up out of whole cloth. All right, group number three. All right, we'll see if we can get through three more of these. Dorthonian, Ardgalan, Isilome, or Gaithrienan. All right. Isilome. Isilome. The first one. All right. Uh incorrect. Gaithrienan is not a thing. That I just completely made up some elvish ish sounds. Elf-ish sounds. Uh, all right. Heathlum, Tolbaranduin, Eredlomin, or Nevrast? Heath Ledger. <laughs> uh, I don't believe he exists. <laughs> well, I'll go with the last one. Uh, it was Tolbaranduin. 
So the Baranduin is the uh, the Elvish name for the Brandywine River in mm. Hobbiton, or uh, not outside of Hobbiton, uh, by the Shire, the borders of the Shire. All right, last one, you guys, last one. All right, so pay attention. This is your last chance. I think Kyle got one so far. That's uh, so you're in the lead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, so last one. We're all winning on this Woo. one. All right, especially the listeners. Tolsirion, Eglarest, Loselbriand. Or Brithombar. Eglarest. Lo celebrum of our... Yes, Ryan is correct. We have oh, ourselves a no. tie, ladies and gentlemen. An elf off. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway, that was that was for Lady Sweden. I hope she enjoyed this uh, torture session. Um, all right, well... <laughs> Kyle, you might not even know... If all you did was read a, a um, synopsis of chapter 14, you might not understand the avalanche of names yeah, that, I, that comes at you. No, I wasn't, I wasn't about yeah. to do that. That's totally I, fine. I wanted to retain what I learned from chapter 13 and not get it convoluted with <laughs> whatever the heck you just said. Yeah. <laughs> Any yeah. of those names. <laughs> there's a, yeah, there's, uh, I, I can't think of any events off the top of my head. It's more just like in chapter 14, it's more like this is where that thing happened that you read in chapter 10 or 11, mm-hmm. or this is the thing that's, uh, this is the place where something is going to happen in chapter 17, uh, you know but we're be, not there yet. You know what would be so. cool though, is if that place where that thing happened in chapter 10 came up in chapter 10, <laughs> or like, we're going to talk about a thing in chapter 17 Maybe in chapter 17, we say, here's where we are. Well, <laughs> they do. They do. Just saying. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's go on with another question. Uh, we got a bunch from Depolt. Uh, it's always reliable with uh, the, the question dumps. Mm-hmm. So uh, Depolt, thank you very much. Uh, let's see. He notes, we see Galadriel here discussing matters with Melian. They seem to share some kind of close bond. Galadriel is probably the oldest character in the Lord of the Rings, save for Sauron and perhaps Gandalf, to, to play a major role. And we are already seeing her as a noteworthy figure this early in the timeline. Um, could she perhaps be thought of as the main character of Tolkien's mythos if one had to be chosen? So if Tolkien had a main character, would it be Galadriel? It's a decent question. I like this question. Um, I'm gonna say she'd be the Hoyt of Tolkien's works. Yeah. (laughs) All right. All right. I'm gonna say no, and my answer as to who the main character is is actually a well. I take it back. That might not work. That doesn't work anymore. So, because like I actually think Morgoth makes a better case for being. We follow him for more of the story. Right than what Galadriel is. But if it's like, but he's the villain, so he can't be the main... Well, by time on page and so, impact, somebody, somebody tell that to Walter White. Oh, you never saw Breaking Bad, did no, you? No, I've never seen Breaking oh, Bad. Okay. Yeah. yeah, your main character can easily be the villain. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I, I think, uh, yeah, I'm with you. No, the answer is no. She's not the main character. Um, it's not a... It's This is not a foolish thing to think, uh, but no, ultimately, I would say certainly not. Morgoth, you got a stronger case there. I'm going to go meta on this one. Middle Earth. No. Um, the main character, and I'm and I'm dead serious about this, the main character of Tolkien's mythology is Jesus. Um, once you really dig into it and, you know, get into what he was doing as a matter of sub-creation and uh, types of Christ and all that stuff that, mm-hmm. uh, that he was doing, the main character of Middle Earth is Jesus. Um, like not it or not. Jeffrey the Balrog. <laughs> not Jeffrey the Balrog. <laughs> I wish. Okay, can we have a sitcom now? I need I need one of our talented listeners to create the uh the eighties or nineties sitcom like theme song for Jeffrey the Balrog. Yep. So we'll get someone to draw up a a ridiculous looking Balrog. I've got character animator, we'll voice him, we'll create a little side thing. <laughs> um all right. So Hurin Fan asks uh, and that name will make a lot more sense. Oh man, so soon for you guys. I'm mm. really looking forward to it. Uh, Hurin Fan asks, this probably isn't an episode worthy question. Ha ha ha. Well, I tagged it anyway. So you write it down. I'm going to ask it. Uh, but I noticed Tolkien genders Gelion male. Gelion being a river in mm-hmm. Beleriand. Um, are all rivers male? 
and it's the first I've noticed? Or is this a thing he made up or took from Old English or other languages he knows? So, um, again, because you guys didn't, like, really dig into chapter 14, you might not have even noticed this. Uh, but sometimes he will give a hey, in river. Ryan's defense, he read it twice yeah. in two mediums, all right? <laughs> Just saying. So, hey, I'm not... <laughs> I've hit that wall multiple times. I'm good. <laughs> um, ew, what, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah, sometimes he genders... Uh, inanimate objects like rivers and sometimes he yeah. doesn't um, and so he, in this case gender would be fluid <laughs> thank you for listening to the legendarium oh, go to subscribe and patreon Seriously, and do whatever we have to that continue was? this episode like that's <laughs> this is bullshit these, these mics are fixed to the table we will figure out how to drop them this I I don't want to I don't want to keep recording. This is dumb. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, so the question is: Are all rivers male? And it's first time I've noticed. No, it's not. No, it's I don't know. I think it's a common thing mythologically, um, and it's also yeah. It, it could be a thing where when he was uh, when he was creating his elvish languages, um, if you know, certain things get gendered for one reason or another. Sometimes it's historical reasons. Um, and sometimes it's just straight up linguistic reasons. Like if you uh, yeah, speak any romance languages, there's no correlation between like, you know, why is a garbage can female and a right. trombone is male? This doesn't yeah, make sense. I will sense, say like you know? in, in Spanish, you know, water and river would be gendered in like, it's a male gendered term. Right, right. So, but you know, I, and I don't think um, he got really into uh gendering in that way with his languages but I, i'm i'm no elvish scholar so I, I couldn't tell you for sure uh but it could be a leftover from an early iteration of elvish that the river galleon was you know male gendered or it could just be it, it could have something to do with um the the um yeah the maya that was associated with, with that river early on you know like the sun and moon are gendered in tolkien um so the sun is female and the moon is male uh which is actually it's kind of fun to read the french version of the lord of the rings because they have to put a, a notation at the bottom of the page when legolas refers to la soleil mm -hmm. which is incorrect he refers to it as a female sun mm -hmm. but in french the sun is male um and they have to put a little note on there like actually in middle earth the sun is literally female. So, mm -hmm. you know, anyway, so little things like that, like it could just be a mythological thing. Anyway, so Huron fan wasn't sure. He said this probably isn't an episode worthy question. Well, I sure showed you. Okay, <laughs> Huron fan. So how dare you? No more throat clearing. Just ask your questions. I love them. Um, all right. This, well, let's do another another one from Depolt. Uh, dragons. We're getting our first mention of dragons here. They are intelligent, if Smaug is of any indication. Um, however, this Glaurung, where did he come from? Was there an intelligent race of reptilian beings that Morgoth had corrupted, akin to how he, quote-unquote, created the orcs? So I'm pretty sure it says that he created him, didn't he? Mm. And then he was let loose on accident? Right. Like before... Yeah, or before he wanted him to be let loose, basically. Because right. yeah. I think when, it, when he was let loose, he was only about half his big as he was supposed to be right is that right yep and he didn't have wings he was not a wingling dragon there's yeah there's <laughs> there's a like a dragon <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot of dragons um that will come across some of them have wings some of them have legs some of them breathe fire and some of them which glaurung does right some of them none of these things you know or, or mm. you know some mix and match whatever so yeah there's a lot of different types of dragons and there is no uh, official consensus on where the dragons came from. Uh, it's a it's a great question. Where did these dragons come from? And I will say, so somebody got mad at me for um, for saying in the last episode or two episodes ago that um, that Ungoliant was a, a Maya. But uh, that, that one's it's like all inferences point to Ungoliant being one of the Maiar. Uh, is that officially stated? No, but it's, you know, a pretty strong inference. With the dragons, it's a lot weaker. There's no, like, there's nothing I can point to to say, like, yeah, this is probably the case. But there are a few different theories. And here's my favorite one. You guys ready? Mm-hmm. 
So Sauron, <laughs> this is, this is, I'm not kidding. This is a real theory that, that people have out there. I'm not making this up. Sauron is a shapeshifter. And we'll, I, I think he's done some shapeshifting up to this point in the story. I'm not totally sure, but he's definitely going to do a lot. Like in Baron and Luthien, Ryan, you might remember that. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is going to come into play. Um, and one of the shapes that he is said to shape in or to shift into is that of a serpent. Uh, which is another name for dragon uh, in these stories. And so somebody had like, okay, so how does Morgoth create dragons? Because he can't create sentient life. But now we have the model of Ungoliant creating this kind of like race of malevolent giant spiders, right? So Ungoliant may be Amaya. Sorry, whoever disagrees with me on that. But uh, she may be Amaya, but she's able to still procreate and... Uh, kind of birth this race of giant spiders, right? Um, so the theory is that that Morgoth has Sauron turn into a dragon and mate with some other kind of lizard creature and kind of birth the race of dragons and do this enough times that you have a, a self <laughs> a self sustaining race of dragons. Uh, is this is this likely? I don't know. But it's so ridiculous and fun that I kind of like it and I want it to be canon. I just imagine that Morgoth you know, calls Sauron into his office. <laughs> Sauron. Here's, hey, here's hey, your, I got your a, sitcom. I have, a, I, have a, I have a request for you. Yes, Dark Lord, whatever you need. What, I'm happy to do it. You know you do that shape-shifting thing? Yeah. Yes, I do. Well, would you mind being a lizard? <laughs> no, I'm totally see, happy with that. See, I'm just imagining him like, you know that shape shifting thing, and then he just like pulls a lizard yeah. out of his <laughs> out of his pocket, you know, like just puts it on the desk. Can you do this? But bigger. can you do this? A little bit bigger, bigger, bigger. Now I've got something in the closet. I need you to do some things with it. I know it's gonna be awkward, but just trust me. Long term, it's gonna be amazing. <laughs> It'll be worth it in the end. Uh, uh, he, they, he literally Angband is literally called Hell. So seven minutes in Hell <laughs> with uh, Sauron and some lizards. There you go. Yikes! Mega yikes! Uh, so <laughs> make sure you watch out for the fire. We don't want that getting in there. <laughs> so it's a good question. Where do the dragons come from? I we we don't know for sure. We're going to see a lot more of the dragons. We're going to see a lot more. Uh, just bananas stuff that goes on with dragons in this it does this say book, so. that glaurong has no wings he still has breath of fire and his mere presence defiles things that is <laughs> that is accurate there you go yeah okay just ask sauron so <laughs> let's see um okay here's another one from Deepold. is the new map we get of beleriand in the same region of the world as the lands we know from the lord of the rings Rohan, Gondor, the Misty Mountains, etc. Could one figure out what locations here will go on to become the lands of the Third Age without too much difficulty? If so, uh, so do you guys? Hey, have you bothered to compare maps and kind of figure out what's going on there, map-wise? Mm-hmm. No. Okay. So I mean, I've I've looked at the map that has been presented and like was like, is any of this familiar with the Middle Earth map map that I'm that I am familiar with? It was a pretty quick no, and then that's about as far as my thought process went until I went into chapter 15. <laughs> right, right. So, if so, no, these locations in Beleriand are not the same as what we see in The Lord of the Rings, with one exception. And that exception, if you pull up a map of, uh, of Middle-earth, see if I can pull up a decent map here. Um, if you go to the, the Ered Luin, the Blue Mountains in the Middle Earth map, so we're talking Lord of the Rings times, in the far northwest of Middle Earth, uh, kind of west of the Shire, uh, are, it, there's this mountain range and the sea kind of has uh, an inlet that runs, cuts through these mountains. Okay, so you got a little pass with the sea there. And those mountains are in the far east of Beleriand. So everything that we're reading about uh, the Blue Mountains get mentioned a few times, but not uh, in great detail. Uh, so essentially everything we're reading about in Beleriand seems to no longer exist by the time of the Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Um, so that mountain range in the far west in the Lord of the Rings is in the far east in Beleriand, and the rest of it is underwater. Why? We'll get there. Um, so This is the Atlantis story. 
Well, there. I mean, we definitely have an Atlantis story. Um, it, we we will get there. Yeah, I'll just yeah, I'll tell you when we get there. I don't. It's not about spoilers. It's just about. I I think we're gonna have a lot of fun with that, and I don't want to like. Got it. Don't want to shoot my shot before before we get to that spot. So, um, all right. Uh, <laughs> um, Jesse L had a couple of uh, a couple of thoughts. Not questions so much as just. Um, uh, observations. So Jesse L says, I like Feanor in spite of his flaws and his relentless pursuit of Morgoth. Not a fan of Thingol for forbidding the use of Noldor's, of the Noldor's language. All right, yeah, we haven't so, really touched on much of, what is it, 15? Yeah, yeah. Which, where Quenya gets outlawed because you killed my brothers and friends. Right, yeah, I think I think we'll get there. Let's take these one at a time. Uh, so from Jesse L., uh, the first one is, I like Feanor in spite of his flaws. Um, do you guys like Feanor? I, I always find myself hating him. Just the, the, uh, the pride. I don't know if I... I like him, but I'm, I don't know that I... <laughs> like him because of who he is. I like him because he's familiar to me as a reader and he's mm. the person I can latch on to and be like, okay, I know what the heck's going on now. Right. So like anytime we get back to Feanor and we're reading about Feanor, I'm like, oh, cool. This is what I was looking for. Right. So, but I don't know that I would say it's because I care for Feanor as a character or decision maker. Right. Ryan? No, I don't have, I don't have a strong distaste for him, but I don't really love him either. He's, because it is, he is one of those characters that, from his very creation, he has always been that Draco Malfoy. <laughs> like, if Hermione and Draco had a baby. There you go. Yeah, the cleverest a hole of his age. <laughs> That's kind of the thing. And so, I, he there's enough about his personality and his, his decision making process that I'm like, I, you are, you're, you are just, you are terrible. You are a terrible person. Uh, or terrible elf and you deserve all the terrible things that are going to happen to you but at the same time I'm like at least you're doing something you're adventuring you're trying to accomplish something I appreciate that I I recognize your go you type A personality elf and you (laughs) achieve you know what it it reminds me of um, the way that we sometimes think about and talk about uh, people who are very very talented or influential in the real world so you know whether it's uh, you know it might be Steve Jobs or some you know musician or something where uh, you and I'm I, Steve Jobs. I don't know much about Steve Jobs' personal life, so I, I'm just saying somebody, some genius in some field. We, you know, will often think like, "Oh man, they were so gifted in this area and gave us so much, gave so much to humanity." And then you dig into their life, and you're like, "Oh no, oh no, 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 no!" <laughs> like, yeah. like whatever you do, if you love Gandhi. Don't learn about Gandhi. It's a terrible idea. (laughs) um, I I don't want to get too much into that, but like he did some amazing things for which he is properly revered. Let's let it lie there, you know? So Feanor maybe would fit into that crowd where it's like, hey, he created the Silmarils. He preserved the light, the, the, the light of the blessed realm for all time in these jewels. Amazing. Uh, oh, oh no! Oh, he he slew how many? Teleri? He burned what ships? So he, you know. So far, we've got him as Draco Malfoy, Gandhi, and now we're adding Christopher Columbus to the mix as like <laughs> people that this man is like. Right. So yeah. Anyway, yeah. No, I think it's it's good. So the next uh, the next one was about. So let's see. First, it was Feanor. Oh, and then Jesse says, "Not a fan of Thingol for forbidding the use of the Noldor's language." All right. So this leads into one of my questions. Uh, which is, is Thingol unreasonable? Um, and I, I use that word advisedly. Is he unreasonable? So in chapter 13, we have uh, the when the Noldor show up, they send messengers and Thingol is like, okay, well, you're allowed to settle here uh, and, and over here, but everything south of this river, everything over here, everything in, you know around these woods, don't even think about it. You know, I am the Lord of Middle-earth don't you know this step off biznatch is mm-hmm. is thingle's attitude and then in chapter 15 when he finds out uh, about the kin slaying when he finds out about the burning of the ships and the crossing of the the great ice you know in the north um he forbids the he forbids the use of quenya 
essentially, which is what the Noldor speak. Um, and says, you know, anybody in Middle Earth, every elf in Middle Earth must speak Sindarin. So, yeah, is is he unreasonable? Does this make him a bad guy? Or is this kind of a natural and understandable and decent reaction to what he finds out? Uh, I'm going to tread into dangerous waters. I'm going to say it's actually very, very smart. It's very, Whether it's unreasonable or not, I, I think it's... In an age where we are aiming to be more accepting, more everything, it, it, this mm-hmm. feels like a really bad move. But one of the best ways you can you can break off a group and make sure that it's not integrating to make sure or to try and keep it keep an us and them mentality, which he's kind of doing with this, is to make it so you cannot communicate. There's uh, there's stories of the the Tower of Babel story right, right. of like confounding languages so you cannot achieve your goals, like. For him to say, no Quenya will be spoken in Middle-earth is basically saying, if you speak it, I know who you are, where you're from, and I can make all my snap judgments based on that fact alone. And I'm not going to let it become something that uh, messes with my setup here. Like, it's very, very smart, rather than just, like, chasing him off or doing any of this, but it's not... It's not... Kind, it's, it's not benevolent. It's, it's not anything. not what we would consider morally upright. Yeah. Perhaps I don't. Um, I don't condone it, but I understand it. <laughs> no, and that's why I said unreasonable. Yeah. So it's um, because it, like you said, it's smart, and that's what I mean in this case by reasonable. He is doing something that has a purpose that you know he has reasoned out, presumably. Mm-hmm. You know, I it kind of in the text it often things sound like a snap judgment, but it's like. You know, Thingol probably sat on his throne for 85 years as a stone and then came to his decision, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, as you say, Ryan, it's it's smart because it does create that us versus them thing where he probably recognized, okay, so they're elves, we're elves, there's going to be a lot of integrating going on. This this pot be a Melton mm-hmm. uh, and who's going to come out on top uh, that's, you know, it's one tool in your belt to make sure that your people come out on top uh, if your language is the one that gets spoken. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. No, I like I like your answer, Ryan. Morally upright? Nah, not, maybe not. Not by our lights. Strategically sound. Yeah, there you go. Kyle, anything to add? No, I think that's very well articulated. Well, I mean, I'm thinking, I, maybe I have a little bit to add. I'm thinking of it in like a modern day perspective where, mm-hmm. you know, we've historically in the United States been really bad about having dual immersion integration into our education system for a long, long time. But why? A lot of other countries teach English in their education programs. Right. And it's a similar vein. And is it, is it just, uh, pride and unwillingness to say like, we're going to learn these other languages or what is it? So I think it's a similar, similar vein of thinking where there's a if there is a common language that is used to Ryan's point, you can have better uh, relationships and work together and have strategic goals and whatever. Um, but when you purposely make the decision to exclude a form of communication, you're drawing a line. So just yeah, yeah I I don't have anything really beyond that to add but that's what that's where my mind was going as you guys were talking was like we have a very much modern day equivalent of that right i taught dual immersion language in school for a while and it was always a weird thing to me that like why haven't we like why didn't i have an opportunity growing up in my elementary school to learn multiple languages because we had we somebody somewhere at some point thingled the United States and said, we will only speak English. And that is all we will teach. Right. No, I think you're really onto something. The, o- the only pushback I would give to that is that we didn't have a thing goal. That's one difference between, you know, th- what we're reading in the Silmarillion is essentially like a great man version sure. of history, right? This person made this decision and therefore society went this way. Whereas, uh, you know, these days there's, there's nobody really at the helm. That's that's not a thing. You know, that's where conspiracy theories fall apart. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, this isn't a thing that somebody did or could do. Sure. Um, and so, but I think there is a similar dynamic where mm-hmm. um, in in the U.S. especially, uh, a lot of people are like, well, 
I don't need to. I'm I'm not going to, my kids aren't going to move anywhere. We're not going to emigrate. We're not going to, you know, and all the economic opportunity, um, you know, for a long time, obviously this isn't so much the case these days, but all the economic opportunities here, I'm, my kids don't need to learn French, even though that was the lingua franca of Europe for, you know, three or 400 years more than that. Um, they don't need to learn French because that's not going to help them. You know, that's why like my niece, uh, she does go to dual immersion in Chinese. Because her mm-hmm. parents were like, hey, you know, that might open up some doors for you to learn Chinese. Uh, but that's not a widespread cultural thing because this has been mm-hmm. the center of gravity uh, culturally and it's, for and a it's long definitely time. becoming more widespread but, over but, the last several years, but it hasn't been for centuries. Right. Anyway, yeah. Uh, anyway, my, my point is that, yeah, you're onto something that there's a parallel there, but the difference is that Thingol, in this case, is... One guy who says, you know, from the top down, thus shall it be, but with the same kind of effect, which is to say, I want our people to be dominant. Therefore, it will be our language that's spoken. Well, I mean, it's exactly what was it Julius Caesar that did. No, it wasn't Julius Caesar. When did they decide that uh, Christianity would be the, mm, the, the religion right. of the of the empire? And like the fifth century. Or fourth yeah, so century? it's the same idea there where it's like you will be Christian. If you're part of the Roman Empire, that is our official religion. If We're tired not, of not, feeding you to lions, you know, or so it's it's when you have that <laughs> that singular dictator or or ruler, because he had the same thing with the Anglican Church, where the king was like, "I'm done with that. My own thing. Everybody here is now going to be that." Right. Anyways. Yeah. Yeah. It's just it's just not something that can occur in our society today. We don't have that. We don't have a, a person with that kind of authority so you can uh, all stay home I I, I, I I disagree with that <laughs> you can all stay home and you, not go to work because of their a pandemic mandated oh gosh um, well let's have yeah. you seen the power that people like kim kardashian wield <laughs> uh you have no power here kim kardashian <laughs> all right so we're way far afield now i feel like this is probably it's not a good, good place question. to wrap it up no <laughs> but it's a place that we have to wrap it up so yeah you have no power here kim kardashian and we're and we're done so uh if you enjoyed this episode except for the last five minutes or so Please go to thelegendarium.com. Go check out our wares there. Um, and uh, Oh, and I should also mention, I, I keep forgetting to put this at the top of the episodes. Um, if you are in the Pacific Northwest, or if you can be in the Pacific Northwest around, uh, is it Memorial Day yeah. weekend? Yeah, the end of May. We are going to do a Legendarium meetup in Portland that weekend. So that uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, it'll be mostly Saturday, but we'll, you know, we'll hang out Friday night, Sunday morning. Um, so we'd love for you to go there. You can check out details at thelegendarium.com. Uh, it's, yeah, it's just going to be a fun, laid back weekend where we're all getting together, talking fantasy. We'll, we'll do live shows and panels and whatnot with, you know, uh, all, all the people who show up. So anyway, would love to see everybody there. All right, guys, have a good one. And I will see you for the next Silmarillion episode.